Now, we're going to jump into a section of Scripture that might be familiar to you. I wish in some ways we could erase our memories of the story we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Exodus chapter 13. If you have a Bible app, you can go there on your Bible app on your mobile phone. Uh, Exodus chapter 13. About 10 years ago, we were traveling in the Midwest, in northern Illinois. We're heading back for an early flight from northern Indiana to Chicago's O'Hare Airport. And we stopped at one of these big rest areas along the toll road. And, um, you know, these, these mega complexes where they've got stores and restaurants and then all kinds of bathrooms, and they're ready for a lot of people to move through. And when you went to this rest stop in particular, they had a hallway that went this way for the ladies and a hallway that went that way for men. It was a long hallway, and off to each side were three bays of sinks and toilets, you know, whole compartments of many uh, sinks and toilets. And um, they could bring a gate down and close one and be cleaning it, leave the other two open and rotate that way with this long hallway. Well, it was early in the morning. There weren't many people there. I went into the one that was at the very end of the hallway in the kind of the men's hallway and went into that bay. I was in there and all of a sudden I heard the rolling of the gate and then I heard the clang of the gate locking. And uh, that sound, even today, I can hear that clang where the gate came down and it was locked. And by the time I washed my hands and got to the gate, there was no attendant there. And it's the end of the hallway, so to really get anybody's attention, I had to kind of yell through the gate to catch other men who were going down the hallway into the first two bays that they'd opened up. And there were no windows in this restroom. There was no other way out. I felt like if I had a tin cup, I'd just kind of take it along the the gate and sing some prison tune or something, you know. Um, But I'm yelling, and I finally got somebody's attention. They got the attendant. But I remember that feeling of just... I'm trapped. There's no way out. Some of you are going through that right now in life with the circumstances you're in. You're living in a place or a situation you never thought you'd be in. There's something going on in your marriage. Maybe there's a health diagnosis about you or someone else, and you're going through some treatments, and you're dealing with some uncertainties. For some of you, it seems like a bunch of stuff has come at the same time, and you just feel like you're at a dead end, that you're trapped We're going to talk about how we move forward for God and how God is the way maker, even when things seem impossible and we feel trapped or at a dead end. We're going to look again at the obstacles we face in moving forward in our relationship with God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the excuses we give when God wants us to move forward. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about the opposition we face in the world, the flesh, and the devil. This week, we're going to look at the third kind of obstacle, and it's the obstacle of the dead ends we face, those moments we feel trapped, hemmed in on all sides by our circumstances. Now, we're looking at the journey in this series called uh, Overcoming Obstacles. We're looking at the journey of the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt, where they've been slaves for 400 years. They're crying out, and God has brought Moses to lead them from Egypt to the Promised Land. Most scholars believe it could have taken the nation of Israel to move uh, that uh, distance from Egypt to the Promised Land about 22 and a half days with some days of rest, uh, believing there were maybe a million and a half to two million people who made that move as they were released from slavery after the plagues that kind of broke uh, Pharaoh's grip on them. And he said, yeah, get out. And they left and are on the move. And one of the first obstacles they face is a very famous situation and scenario in the journey. Remember, the journey took them 40 years because of some twists and turns and some of their own disobedience and things God had planned for them. 
It took them 40 years, but we're looking at it, it's something that happens just as maybe within days of their departure from Egypt. And I think we can learn some vital lessons about when we feel like we're at a dead end, when we feel like we're trapped. Today we're going to see that when you feel trapped with no way out, God still expects you to move forward because He never runs out of options and will always make a way forward for you, even when it seems impossible. Even if you don't like the path He has, has for you, He will help you move forward. Maybe already in 2024, God's been nudging you about a way you need to move forward in your walk with Him, in your service of Him, in your relationship to His church. Maybe God's been nudging you to join a small group. Join a small group today. Maybe He's been talking to you about being in the Word or reading the Scripture more, sharing your faith or serving in a different way. Maybe there's something in your family or at work God is doing to say, you need to move forward. And perhaps in that journey you've already faced a dead end, a trapped position where you don't know how you can make that journey forward. Often we envision ourselves when we're moving from here that we are to the there God has for us by His grace. We often picture ourselves going just in a straight line, moving from here to there. It's just very easy, very obvious. It's from here to there. It's a straight line. It makes sense. It often, though, doesn't turn out that way. <laughs> With our own failures, the, the difficulties of living in a broken world, the failures of others, often our journey from here to there that God has for us looks much more like this, with twists and turns and sometimes moments when we feel like there's no way we can move forward because we're trapped, we're at a dead end. And yet God wants all of us, whatever the journey looks like when we look back, He wants all of us to walk with Him, to grow in Him in the journey of faith. So today we're going to talk about what you do when you feel trapped. I'm going to share with you uh, nine points, and I don't, remember, I don't expect you to remember all nine points by tomorrow or this afternoon, but what I've been praying this week is that as we look at this incredible story of the dead end that the nation of Israel faced 1,500 years before Jesus was born, as we look at this, that, that folks here would sense the Holy Spirit saying about one or two of these points, this is what you need right now in your journey. Maybe you'll sense the nudging of the Spirit and say, hold on to this thought, Get a hold of this principle. Maybe there'd be one or two of those in your life that God has for you today. So listen to the Spirit's prompting as we move through what is a very familiar story in the journey of God's people from slavery to the promised land. The first thing you need to know when you feel trapped as God's child is that when you feel trapped, remember God has you right where He wants you. God has you right where He wants you. That's hard sometimes because we don't like where we are. Maybe even our own failures got us here. But God's going to grow you and work in and through you right where you are. Look at chapter 13 of Exodus and verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go. So the plagues have happened. He's released them. They're now on the move. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. God didn't take them on the shortest, easiest route. I don't know about you, but in my journey, God hasn't taken me on the shortest or easiest route all the time. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. You see, the direct route was to go from Egypt through the Philistine territory, but the Philistines aren't going to want a, a million and a half to two million people marching through their land without a little fight. And so God knew that they might think they're ready, as we'll see in a moment, they think they're ready for battle, but God says they'll turn back. 
that's not the route I'm going to take them. Sometimes the dead end you get to is actually the better option for you, even though you don't know it, God knows it. God knew that there was something worse for them out there, and he's protecting them from that. So God led the people, verse 18, around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. They think they're ready for war. God knows they're not ready for war with the Philistines, but he's going to take them a different route. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and when you must carry my bone, then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Remember, he was sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, raised up into leadership. God used Egypt to protect Israel during this time, but then the, the enslavement came. He must have seen it on the horizon in his own life. So 400 years earlier, about the time Joseph died, he said, God's going to re- release you someday, and he's going to rescue you, and, and please take me back to the place where I was born. I want to be buried in the promised land. So they take his bones with them. Verse 20, after leaving Succoth, they came and camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Verse 1 of chapter 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near pi ha Hiroth between Migdal and the sea. They're to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. So what's happening here is as the nation of Israel moves out of Egypt, God gives them his presence in the form of a cylinder-like cloud that's going to go before them in the daytime, and that's God's intimate express presence with them, guiding them and leading them. At night, it would become a pillar of fire to provide light and protection. They were very advanced in their ability to move in the, the wilderness because... Uh, they would be able to move at night. In the ancient world, people, groups couldn't move very well at night. It was so dark. And they would be able to. And God was there in his presence and his protection with them. And so when the cloud began to move, they just followed it because it was God leading them. If the cloud stopped, they stopped and encamped. And then when the cloud began to move, they picked up and followed the cloud. And so God leads them to this place that's described in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. But this place is a dead end. God leads them to a place where they're surrounded by circumstances that hem them in and trap them. Let me give you a little bit of a a hint of how the geography was in the description there in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. The Red Sea was in front of them. The pillar of cloud or fire had led them to that place. On the left, they have mountains with some marshlands. There's no way to traverse that. On the right, they have mountains with a desert, and there's no way to traverse that. they got the Red Sea in front of them. So he leads them to this spot, and it's like a dead end, and they're turning around. And, you know, when you get to a place where you can't go forward, you can't go to the left, you can't go to the right, you think, we better backtrack and get out of this dead end. But we're going to see that as soon as they get in this spot, the Egyptians show up. (laughs) Do you see how they're trapped? There's no way out. Now, I wish I could undo in your minds what you know is going to happen that you saw Charlton Heston do in the Ten Commandments or you saw in the Bible uh, story as uh, was put on the History Channel about 10 years ago. I I wish I could undo what you know because this is a, a place that's like a dead end. Circumstantially, they are surrounded. They can't go anywhere. There is no way out. And there's an aggressor on one side that wants to bring them back into slavery. 
But God had them right where he wanted them. He brought them to that place to grow them and stretch them and move them forward in him. And wherever you are, God wants to grow you and stretch you and move you forward. Isaiah 55.8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. It doesn't make sense to us often why we are where we are, but where we are, God wants to grow us and shape us and mold us and make us more like Jesus and lead us forward in him. But there's some days you get up and you go, what's this about, God? <laughs> you lay your head on the pillow at the end of the day and you go, what was this day about? Why more stuff? Why am I surrounded? Why am I trapped? Why does it seem like I'm being crushed on all sides? The old preacher Vance Havner said, God marks across some of our days. We'll explain later. <laughs> we sang the hymn of heaven when he's going to return and all tears are wiped away and it'll all make sense to us then as we'll see it in the light of his glory and grace, what those days were all about. But remember, God has you right where he wants you. Secondly, focus more on the Lord being lifted up than on you being set free. Hear me. We get obsessed with, I got to get out of these circumstances. We get in, into a panic where we're going to try anything and everything. And people have tried substances, they've tried immorality, they've tried their careers where they put everything into it because that's going to be the thing that sets them free from how they feel trapped or the dead end they think they're in. Focus more on lifting up the Lord than you're being set free from your circumstances. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 14. Pharaoh will think, God is talking to Moses again, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. They're hemmed in by the desert. They're in this spot where they've got the Red Sea and the mountains. Now's our chance. Let's go. We'll take care of them. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, Pastor Brian Howard dealt with that phrase last week. And if you didn't see that message, I encourage you to go back. He handled that phrase where God hardens Pharaoh's heart very well. And he will pursue them. Pharaoh's going to go after the nation of Israel, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his armies, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. You see, God puts us in scenarios and situations so that as we walk with him and trust him and let him make the way forward, we don't set ourselves free, but we trust him and walk with him, that he will receive the honor and the glory through our lives. That's why we're left here to have a journey on earth is so we can shine his light and be salt that people can see Christ in us. Focus more on the Lord being lifted up than on you being set free. Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, you're obsessed with being set free. You need to think about how am I going to be seen in and through the circumstances you're in. Thirdly, be honest about your circumstances, but keep your eyes on your God. Be honest about your circumstances, but keep your eyes on your God. What am I talking about here? I mean, some Christians who think we're supposed to never let down our plastic fake smile. Oh, yeah, lost my job. Yeah, yeah, the diagnosis was really negative. And, and, and we, we, we even try to quote verses that we just use as platitudes, the verses on the refrigerator. And, and we think that we're supposed to fake our way through so that the people around us, our friends, neighbors, and coworkers who don't know Jesus, won't think that God is being mean to us in our circumstances, that somehow we're above them and we're immune to the circumstances. But in reality, it's okay to be honest about the circumstances you're in 
and identify them as terrible and difficult and hard. Now, Moses writes Exodus, so he's writing this under the direction of the Spirit of God as he looks back at what happened when they were trapped at the Red Sea between the Red Sea, the mountain ranges, and the Egyptians. But notice in verses 5 through 9 how he describes this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, so, okay, Pharaoh, you said, let them go. They've gone. They're out into the desert heading that way. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? Who's going to make breakfast? Who's going to make the bricks? We let the slaves go. We've let the Israelites go back and have lost their services. That sounds like they were contractors working for them, right? Actually, we've lost their slaves. I wake up and say, wait, that was a mistake. We've got to go get them and bring them back. And we hear they're, they're kind of hemmed in. We'll just, this is just so perfect. We'll kill those who aren't willing and we'll bring everybody else back in slavery. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, we read in verse 7, along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. So they come and they become that fourth wall around the fourth side of the trap around the Israelites. There's a description given here that he takes his elite forces and Pharaoh himself, and they go up front, then they bring the whole army behind them, and, and they come, and they are going to attack the Israelites and take them back into slavery and kill those who don't want to do that. I like how Moses, looking back, numbers the fancy chariots, the strong chariots, the horsemen. He knows what they were facing. He was honest about his circumstances. When the people came and said, hey, Moses, did you notice there's a Red Sea there? There's a mountain range there. There's a mountain range there. And oh, by the way, our former enslavers are here to take us back into slavery. Moses didn't go, oh, no, it'll all be good. After all, all everything works together for good. He understands kind of that second part of verse 29, that God uses our circumstances to mold us and shape us, and, and in this era, to mold us and shape us and make us like Jesus. You gotta be honest. It's okay to say to your neighbors, this hurts. <laughs> this is painful. This breaks my heart. This is heavy. But the difference is, they see our focus is not on the circumstances, but the focus is on our God. We do what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Be honest about your circumstances, but keep your eyes on your God. I love in the story of David and Goliath, in 1 Samuel 17, they come out and they meet, and the big, almost basketball height Goliath with all kinds of armor comes out. David comes out, he's got a sling, a little couple of pieces of rope, and some uh, rocks in his pocket, but what Goliath can see is that he's got a shepherd's staff or a stick. And Goliath looks and he says, they sent a boy with a stick to fight me? What am I, a dog? You're going to chase me with your little stick, you little boy? David, many will immediately jump to David saying, but the Lord will win this today because the battle is the Lord's, not mine. Actually, right before that, his response to Goliath first is, I see you, Mr. Giant. Yes, you're big. Yes, you have a sword, a spear, a shield, a javelin. You have armor, and you're tall. He was honest about his circumstances. 
But then he says, but I've got my eyes on my God. This is his battle, not mine. Don't try to fake your way through. Non-believers see through that, right? Be honest that life is difficult and it can be crushing and it can be overwhelming. It's okay. God doesn't call us to fake our way through this. Fourthly, when you begin to panic, start to pray. When you begin to panic, start to pray. So when the Egyptians come, now the nation of Israel panics. We read in verses 10 through 12, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Notice it says they saw the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, verse 10. They're terrified. A, a panic will set in. If you understand the difficulties of this world, when you feel boxed in in your relationships, in your living situation, in your, your, your marriage, your family, or your work, or your finances, or your health, it's okay to acknowledge the reality of your circumstances and as soon as the panic begins to sit in, set in that you feel like you're about to be crushed, what do you do? You cry out to the Lord. The most basic prayer from our lips as God's people when we feel like we're being crushed and we're, we're beginning to panic is, oh Lord, help me, save me. When Peter began to sink as he was walking to Jesus on the water, he cried out, Lord, save me. It's the most basic cry. When you begin to panic, start to pray. The nation of Israel says, Moses, did you bring us out here to this desert between these mountains and, and that sea for this to be our burial ground? I'm very familiar with sarcasm. Sarcasm. I'm pretty good at actually determining it. You see, my wife Leslie has the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And so <laughs> after 33 years, uh, six months, and uh, about 20 days, 21 days, I, I recognize sarcasm. There's sarcasm in the nation of Israel's response in uh, uh, verse 11 when they say, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? You see, the Egyptian empire is a unique empire among the ancient people groups. Uh, most people groups buried people in mass graves or burned their bodies or sent them out to sea, but the Egyptians actually because of some of their uh, spiritual beliefs, buried individuals. You know, we know what they've done in terms of mummifying and, and even mummifying the, the pharaohs and their servants. And, and we know that historically, the Egyptians even, in the, the, they kind of zoned their land. And this was such a priority to them that people would be shown the dignity of an individual grave that three quarters of the populated land within Egypt was considered in ancient Egypt a place you could create a grave for an individual in your family who died. And so they're saying, hey, we could have had our own grave back there in Egypt, but now you've brought us out here to make this desert our grave. Even in death, we would have been better off in Egypt. They're crying out because it hurts. They're beginning to panic. When you begin to panic, start to pray. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, that doesn't mean 
Don't ever have a twinge of panic or anxiety. This is actually the continuous tense here. It's saying don't continue to panic. As soon as you begin to feel overwhelmed, you feel like you're gonna be crushed, you feel like you don't know what you're gonna do, what does it say? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When you begin to feel, feel fear, when you begin to be overwhelmed, when you feel like you're gonna panic, just start talking to God. Take your requests to Him. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting that we who know Jesus are the followers of Christ, face the same kinds of cancer, job cuts and layoffs, economic downturns, family tensions and marriage difficulties that our neighbors, coworkers, and friends face. But God's saying, listen, when you face that stuff, you face it differently because I'm with you. You can cry out to me and I will flood your heart and your mind with a peace that you really only realize, you know, weeks and months and maybe years after you've gone through, you look back and go, I don't know how I got through that. There was a peace God gave me in the midst that I can't explain. But the world around us needs to see that kind of faith journey in us. That even though we're going through the same stuff they're going through, and this philosophy that saturates some parts of Christianity, that once you come to Jesus, it's all a rose garden, is not a biblical concept. We're going to have struggles, but what's the difference between what the difference is between us and those who don't know Jesus around us is we have Jesus. And as we go through that stuff, as we invite God to be a part of that journey and him to be the waymaker who takes us forward when things seem impossible, his peace floods into our hearts and people around us go, "What is she going through? The same thing I'm going through. What is he going through? Similar stuff that I'm going through." But they have a peace even in their tears and even in their honesty about the difficulty of their circumstances, there is a peace I've got to have. We become light in the midst of those circumstances. Maybe God is saying to you, you're panicking too much and you're not praying enough. And this week, you need to cry out to God in prayer. Fifth, calmly and confidently, let God be God. Let God be God. A prayer I pray a lot is, Lord, you are God and I am not. You've heard me say this. I've met a lot of you who say you've picked that up as a part of your daily prayer life. I'm a type A, I'm a control freak. Am I the only one in the room? I've found that the greater Caneo Valley area is full of control freaks and type A's. We want to control every detail. We've, we, many of us have the financial resources and all the networking and, and all the influential resources. We've got affluence and influence, and we're going to leverage that, and we can control everything about our lives. We can take care of everything. No, you can't. And at a certain point, you've got to let God be God. Verses 13 and 14. As the people say, we, we should have just died, and a, a death in Egypt would have been better than a death here. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Now, God hasn't told him anything. He's in the same circumstance. He knows the Red Sea is that way, mountains, mountains, Egyptians. There's no indication God has given him the plan yet, but he trusts God. He says, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And after that day, they never dealt with the Egyptians trying to bring them back into slavery. 
The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I'm always on the move, trying to control and influence. And some of my greatest moments of moving forward is when I do nothing. I'm still and wait on God to tell me what the next step is, even if he doesn't tell me what the whole path is. Some of you this week just need to be still and let God be God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 gives us a precious promise that God is able to take us through whatever we're going through. I love how Pastor Eugene Peterson put it in his paraphrase, the message. He said, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Now, again, we know the end of the story, right? But even at this moment where Moses said, just trust God, he's going to take care of these Egyptians. He's got a way out of here. Now, he probably is thinking, we're going to go through the Egyptians somehow. But he knows God didn't bring us here to destroy us. He brought us here to grow us, walk with us, so we lean into him and let God be God. Sixth, when God says move forward, move forward, no matter how impossible it seems. When God says move forward, move forward, no matter how impossible it seems. And he may not give you the whole path. He may just say, here's your next step. Trust me with this one. And then wait and give Take this step, and in obedience to his word and to the nudging of his spirit, you take the next step and the next step through wise counsel. When God says move forward, move forward, no matter how impossible it seems. Look at verses 15 through 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Excuse me, God, this move on thing. Red Sea, mountains, mountains, Egyptians. Move on. See, God always intends for us to move forward, not backward in our journey with him. Move forward. Tell him to move on. Verse 16, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. This is familiar to us, right? To divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Move forward. Take the next step, even when it seems impossible. The nation of Australia was emerging into the 20th century, felt like they were stuck and they want to join the rest of the world economically and politically. And so they they came up with a coat of arms that had a motto, and that was just simply, Advance Australia. Advance Australia. Now, in that, that uh, coat of arms was created, that motto, in 1905, because they wanted to move forward, not backwards. In 1912, they redid the coat of arms. They dropped the word advance, but it remained their theme because the two creatures they put on the coat of arms reminded them of moving forward and that moving backward was not an option. The kangaroo and the emu, natural to Australia. The kangaroo can't move backwards, can only move forwards. If it moves backwards, it can even break its tail, hurt itself. The emu, it's balanced and the way its feet are created can only move forward if it goes backward, it tips over and it ends up like a turtle and can't get off its back. 
I just found that, that imagery to be a, a good reminder for us that God has designed us in our, in our walk with him to keep moving forward with him. Again, he tells, he tells Moses, move on, move forward. But it seems like, what are you talking about, God? How can we move forward? Let me just say to some of you, the first step forward for you is to receive Christ as your Savior. Trust in the one who died, was buried, and was raised for you. Maybe you've been on the brink of that. You've had conversations about it. You've wrestled with the good news of Jesus. May today be the day you embrace the grace and goodness of God in Christ and put your faith in him. Our care team will be down front, can pray with you, answer questions. I'll be in the lobby. Pastor Michael will be out there. If you're joining us online, even in the room, you can just send a very simple text and we'll connect with you. It's just text the name Jesus to 58568, the number below me on the screen, 58568, and just put Jesus, and we'll help you know what that means to embrace Christ as Savior and to walk forward with him. Child of God, God wants you to move forward. And you say, but it's impossible. Take the next baby step by faith and trust him. Seventh, seventh, be aware of God's presence with you and you'll have clarity others can't. I love verses 19 and 20, probably my favorite part of the story. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. God's presence is in this angel of the Lord, who had led them to this dead end. It says, the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. So now the cloud that was between them and the Red Sea moves to be between them and the Egyptians. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side, the Egyptians, and light to the other side, Israel, so neither went near the other all night long. Now, this idea of darkness that goes over the Egyptians is not just the idea that it blocked the sun or the moon and the stars that night, but that even if they were to light a match or they had a flashlight, which they didn't, but if they had a flashlight and they could turn it on, it still would be darkness. They are completely enveloped in darkness, and this would strike fear in the heart of the Egyptians. What is going on here? So on the one side of this cloud toward the Egyptians, you have darkness, but the light is shining into the encampment of the Israelites and it's shining into the Red Sea. God is being very clear to his people. I am with you. I will protect you. I will lead you. God has given us his Holy Spirit who is with us at all times. When you're aware of God's presence with you, that he doesn't abandon you, who doesn't leave you, even when you feel crushed and you feel like there's no way out, be aware of God's presence and you have clarity that others can't have. The Egyptians couldn't have this clarity. They were caught in the darkness. Maybe today God wants you to just focus this week on the fact he's with you even when you don't feel like he's with you. Number eight. Get ready for God to grow your faith. <laughs> if you're at a dead end, you're trapped. I know in my own life, and I know in the example of many stories in Scripture, including this one, that when we're trapped, we're at a dead end. That's when God wants to grow our faith the most. Get ready for God to grow your faith, to stretch you. You have to be willing to take whatever baby step is required. In verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, a wall of water on their right and on their left. Three times this passage describes they go out on dry ground, wall of water on the right, wall of water on the left. 
Now imagine this scene. They've got this bright light that is shining on them. The Egyptians are in darkness and chaos. The light is shining in their encampment. It's shining forward into the Red Sea. All of a sudden, Moses does what God says, lifts up his hand with the staff, and the waters part. We don't know how tall those walls were, but they're probably towering like, like skyscrapers in, in New York City. This massive wall of water, and the people are supposed to step out on dry land. Can you imagine being the first person? <laughs> How strong is your arm there, Moses? If that's the key to this, uh, they step out on dry land as they're walking. They're just seeing all this water being held up as these people, uh, the, the, the watches that are mentioned here imply that this takes about six hours, probably from about 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning. And then it says in this passage, if you keep reading in this section, it says, in the final watch, the Egyptians tried to follow them in and the waters crushed them so that none of them survived. But they're required, they're required to step out by faith, to be ready for God to grow their faith. It, it took a lot to step out with walls of water. These might have been the first aquariums in all of world history. Maybe as they're walking down, the kids are saying, look, Dad, a fish, look at that big one. Oh, look at the little one, there's Nemo. I, whatever they saw, as they're walking, every step required faith and every step built their faith. God takes them down an impossible path, and we think, oh, we, we kind of glorify this because we know the end of the story that, oh, they just, this is wonderful, and they just moved across. Every step, every step, they're trusting those walls of water are gonna stay up, that ground is gonna stay dry, they're not gonna be crushed. And then their fears are kind of realized a bit, right? They get to the other side, and the Egyptians try to come in to chase them, and the Lord brings the water on top of them. Get ready for God to grow your faith if you feel trapped right now. And you say, I, I would rather he didn't. <laughs> he wants to grow your faith so you can shine brighter for Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you just need to say this week, God, I'm ready. Grow my faith. Maybe this is one of those one or two things that God wants to say to you. Ninth and finally, plan for a time of praise, celebrating the greatness and goodness of your God. A lot of us, when God takes us from a trap situation and we get out of it, we say, wow, that was terrible. Oh no, now it's the desert. We, we move from one challenge and we don't celebrate how God took us through that and the steps of faith it took and the journey where he met us in his presence and gave us his peace. And we don't stop to celebrate, we just look at the next bad thing. And you say, but there are a lot of bad things in my life. I'm sure there are. They're going to have a lot of terrible and trying experiences ahead. But you've got to stop and celebrate. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, is the first song of all the Bible, the first psalm of all the Bible written by Moses and Miriam, and it is a celebration time. When they get to the other side, the Egyptians are destroyed. They celebrate the goodness of God. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and rider. He is hurled into the sea. Verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 13. This is a part of their song of praise. In your unfailing love, you'll lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them by your to your holy dwelling. 
We're with you in the journey, God. Praise you, God, for what you've brought us through now, and we can trust you that whatever dead ends or traps or places that seem impossible we come to or we don't understand the future, we can trust you. And I know for some who are skeptics of Scripture, or maybe you just honestly had a wrestling with some of these stories of the Old Testament to see all these Egyptians crushed and killed as God directed the waters back on them, you may struggle with that. I'm going to deal with that in the Old Testament survey class, but I get that. I understand that. The reality is that from Adam and Eve, God promised a Redeemer would come. Then He chose a man named Abraham and established the Jewish people, and He said, through this nation, I'm going to bring my child. And since that time, Satan has tried to destroy those people, especially before Jesus even arrived. He tried to destroy them so that that promise couldn't be kept. That's a part of that in this story. Child of God, how long has it been since you just celebrated some good things in your life that God has done for you? where God has brought you, how he's led you. Maybe this week, you just need to pause and rehearse some of the ways God has blessed you in 2023, even if there were other circumstances. What are some of the things you could see, the presence and hand of God? We need to celebrate God's goodness and God's greatness as we walk by faith and he brings victory into our lives. Even the smallest of victories, celebrate them with God. See, when you feel trapped with no way out, God still expects you to move forward because he never runs out of options and will always make a way forward for you. He is the way maker. Which of these nine, one or two, has God been saying to you, you need to latch on to this for this week and next week. You need to hold on to this promise. You need to put this into practice. Take what those one or two things that God has said to you and apply them to your life this week. I was in Uganda for about a week, and over a course of about five and a half days, I spoke about 12 times. I was speaking to a pastor's conference at our partner church there, Kabbalah Gala Church, and as I was speaking to the conference, these were about a couple hundred pastors from all over Uganda who'd been influenced by our dear brother, Bethuel Dongo, who first became a good friend of our founding pastor, Larry DeWitt, and then became a good friend of mine. And um, he had established the church there, it was growing. He sent pastors out from there, partnered with other pastors. And so I got to minister to those who'd been like his sons and daughters in ministry, which was a great privilege. And then uh, he started the God Care School, primary school, high school. We've partnered with them over the years. Many of you have gone on mission trips. Our high school will be going there in March on a missions trip. Some of you sponsor children through Biamba. Biamba is the ministry that, that helps us partner with kids to raise the education of these kids so they have Jesus and it'll transform the nation. When they have Jesus and they have a quality education, it, it'll transform that nation and transform the continent of Africa. So thank you for what you do, those of you who invest in Biamba, which is a part of that ministry. But many of you also know that nine years ago, it's hard to believe to say that, nine years ago, Pastor Dongo went to be with Jesus. But he poured himself into his four children, to his wife and others in the ministry to carry on. But when I went to Uganda in 2015 for his memorial, his kids were in their 20s, young 20-year-olds, mid-20s at the most. It was a lot of work to be done, a lot of opportunities yet ahead, and it, it was hard to see forward. Hard to see forward. But being there in 2019 and seeing what God was doing when I was there in a trip, similar trip, then being there last week and seeing what's happening, God has taken what he invested in. While it might have been hard for some to see forward in what God was going to do, they kept taking steps. It was so great to be there and to see Florence and 
Four years after Dongo went to be with the Lord, his wife Florence married a, a prayer warrior who prays hours a day named Edward Luquanda. And they have Michael, who Florence and Dongo had adopted and raising him. Florence is helping lead in the ministry and nurture her kids and those pastors that are out there and, and with the school. Then they had four children. The oldest is Thanks. Thanks went off for worship training in a, in a context and for three years outside of Uganda. And he came back and he's brought this heart of worship and is shaping the worship in the church, in the school, in the high school. Thanks married Angela. They have Bion. They, have, they had a little baby on the way when I took this picture last Sunday. And that baby was born yesterday. So they've added one. Uh, 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 Cleonike. Aziel Dango. Their family's growing. Matter of fact, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't all get together in a photo and we had lunch with the family last Sunday in Kampala because the children were just everywhere. So they said, why don't you just take pictures of us as families with you? That's why I'm in each of these. Worship, the second oldest. Uh, her husband is working right now in London and so he wasn't there when I was there. And her kids, Nathan, Nehemiah, and Gabrielle, uh, she is helping coordinate that all that Biamba stuff we do to make sure the resources get to the kids and she's helping and coordinating at the school and, and seeing what God's doing and thanks and worship. Then Glory, Glory and his wife Catherine were here after three years in seminary. They came and did a year internship with us and he did a great job, but seeing him in that setting and they have Isabella and Taji. Taji was dedicated here in a child dedication at Calvary, the youngest baby I've ever dedicated. He was three days old when they dedicated Taji here. But glory is thriving and leading and stepping up in leadership in the church, and you just see what God is doing in and through him. And then the youngest, Ezra, he's a coordinator he'll be working with. He's a networker, like a, pro, uh, a project manager. He just, he's got this mind to coordinate and network and solve problems, and he'll be coordinating our high school trip that'll be coming. He helped coordinate and take me places and let me know what I was going to be doing, and and his wife, Farida, they have little Aya and Ora, and being with them was such a blessing because what maybe nine years ago looked like, okay, will this continue beyond this man and his ministry? Praise God, it has. Because instead of feeling like there was no way forward, the Bayamba ministry, God Care School in the church, his wife, his kids, all of those pastors, all of us who partnered with them, we said, we want to move forward for the glory of God. Well, it could have looked like that was going to come to an end. And maybe in some ways, there's certain things in your life that seem like you're so trapped, it's a dead end, it doesn't make sense. We serve the one who is the way maker. Even in places we thought were impossible. We just step out, take that first step on the dry ground he provides, even if it looks a little scary, and we trust him. Then we take the next step and we trust him because he indeed is the way maker. Father, I don't know who here feels trapped, like they've come to a dead end. Maybe they're wrestling to just understand why you have allowed them to come to this place. Meet them today. Help them to grab onto just one or two of these principles and apply them to their life this week. Father, help me in my life and journey to move forward one step at a time, trusting you, the one who is the way maker. Thank you that you keep your promises. Thank you that you walk with your children. Be honored and glorified in our lives this week as we seek, even when we feel trapped and hemmed in, to trust you and take the next step forward when you call us to move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.